Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Listening live to Kings of Non Sequitur, the off-season version of In Much Less Detail, the podcast. Here with you live on a Thursday night, July the 20th, 2017. I'm Dre, he's Jay. Baseball season headed for the stretch, coming around the corner, going down to the wire, and all those good horse racing cliches. Not that I have horse racing on my mind, not that I'm going to be out at the Dog track betting the horses and the dogs next Thursday, but that's another story for another time. Baseball season coming down, trade deadline coming up uh, next week, uh, the 31st, as always. And baseball is looking a little different these days. Uh, I think that's the bigger story, not the trade deadline, although the trades uh, have been interesting so far. And of course, we're going to get to one that involves both of our Chicago teams, the Cubs and the White Sox. Uh, But baseball looking different when you watch it on TV, looking almost not like anything we've seen quite uh, in the, in the history of of baseball, though the numbers are out of control. The home run derby was insane. If you, if anybody watched that. Uh, So we'll get to all of that. Uh, Pretty much a, whole episode about baseball the last episode was all about basketball being broken and this one is about maybe the sport of baseball being broken so we're we're spraying to all fields before the uh the, before the football season starts jason how you doing tonight i am great how are you i'm good uh had some personal drama going on in the last uh week or two but uh all that's, is well at new. the moment it, it is it's not uh my life has been rather stable since I moved down here and, and <laughs> married my wife. It's not like it used to be. Used to be, uh, no. boy, 10, 10, 12, 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. Yeah, every night there would be some new crazy story about something uh, that I experienced or some person that I met that changed my life forever and not necessarily in a good way. Uh, but thankfully, those days are in the past. Well, good. That's always good to know. So, yeah, I, I know a lot of the backstory, so we don't have to go into any uh, any of the details or anything. But yeah, you know, I was talking yeah. to my wife, and my, my wife my wife is my Facebook reader. Basically, I have an account, but I don't look at it. I I really have gone, uh, you know, pretty much Facebook free since back around the election, and and I think my life is better for it. I, I really do. That just that ruined me. That that whole that whole period, you know, we, we talked about that on the show, but you know, just it, it really it's turned into this just not not a very nice place. You know, you, you talked about in the last show about how you know like sort of the the, the crumbling of America, and it's like, boy, well, there it was right there on social media. So you know, social media is sort of like the bane of my existence. So I've I've been staying 
away. So my wife gives me all the details of everything that's going on. So she started to tell me the story. Like, yo, did you see something with Andre? And I was like, well, you know, no, I don't really read that anymore. And she just basically started telling me like the first two words of, you know, out of her mouth about the story. Like, oh, yeah, I know all about that one. Yeah, <laughs> uh-huh. yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. yeah. But, but what really has me feeling, you know, and you were worried about America in decline, I feel better today knowing that OJ gets to resume the search for the killers. The real killers. I, I mean, the real killers, yeah. So I, I feel better as, as an American knowing that they come around October. He was completely innocent, but if he did it... Of course, if he did it. He had some some thoughts and, and theories about if he if he did those murders that he was uh, acquitted of. Yeah, I was gonna uh, talk about that too, just to say that I cannot believe how much my Twitter blew up about the the OJ, um, not the not the the verdict. I I, I use that word uh, on purpose, the verdict, yeah. because it harkens back to the initial trial, but. Uh, not just the decision uh, of the parole board to let him uh, be parole, but leading up to it, it was like it was being live streamed. You could watch mm-hmm. it like it was a sporting event. ESPN Streak for the Cash had it as an as an option to pick to make a pick, like it was a game today. Will OJ be paroled? Yes or no? Was a, an option that you could do. There were odds. There were you could go to Vegas and bet if OJ Simpson was going to be paroled. I was gobsmacked at the event that this thing became today, and I don't know what it says about our society, but I'm guessing nothing really good. No, it it was a it was a view into a time of what it would have. Could you imagine what it would have been like if we had had what we had for accessibility back in '95 when the OJ trial was going on? Could you just no, imagine what that would be like? Could you imagine what that would be like now? I remember the zoo that it was then. And yeah, it, no, I can't imagine if there was Twitter and, and Facebook and Instagram and all of that during the trial. And during oh, that was like, that was incredible what was going on at the time of the trial with, with all the uh, cable networks, all the news networks, all the people that made names of themselves based on nothing more than their opinions about this trial uh was nancy did that boost nancy grace into prominence was that oh. where we first heard about her god nancy grace and 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 oh god uh greta van susteren and those people they were on cnn and yeah what it did for all of the all of the people in the media with the constant coverage and it made stars out of these people so if you want to uh, look at why we have events that have four, five, six, seven, eight people in individual boxes on your TV screen, all shooting off their hot take and their opinion on some event of the day or whatever, it, it kind of started there. I'm sure there were a lot of other things you can go back on, on network news and find other examples of, of big events. But that's basically where it started, where you had to gather as many different opinions as possible and put them all on your TV screen and see, you know, mix them all up in a box and see what happens. Almost like, uh, you know, you get four or five, six family members on Jerry Springer who all uh, had sex with the same 
teenage cousin and you put them all in a box and see what happens and you just sit there and you know eat your popcorn and and watch the explosion happen in front of your tv yeah and it would be you know and it was so much more controlled back then that I, I just I'm just struggling thinking about what this would be like in this climate now. What could you know something big like that were to happen again, it would be it would be unbearable. Well, we're in the middle of that right now with, with this administration. We're in the middle of that right now. No, it's it's not one major event, but it's sort of like a, a rolling thunder of events every day. But the the coverage that it's getting is basically does rival what we were going through every day with uh, with the developments of the OJ trial. Yeah, but with, you, with the OJ trial, it was the spectacle. The stuff that's going on right now, which is basically just a continuation of, of the election, is so, you know bias one side versus the other you're getting you know you're basically just getting you're getting talking points from one side you've basically got entire news networks that are you know basically hunkering down and like here's the republican channel and here's the the democrat channel here's the people who are going to just do like you know 100 percent negative stuff on trump and here's the other side that's going to do positive stuff it, it it wasn't that way with oj you didn't have the the guilty channel and the innocent channel you know, yeah, you did. <laughs> you didn't watch me. You didn't know. <laughs> you absolutely you know, they, had a faction of people that thought he was. Well, I don't know if they thought he was innocent, but they wanted him to be innocent. We'll put it that way. Yeah, but I'm talking about for what passed as as like news reporting. You know, yeah, the, the critics, the critics, right? Okay. Yeah, I mean, you're always going to get like the talking head stuff, but now you've got like the legitimate news. You can't if there's any anywhere anymore. That's that's becoming less and less that that you can you 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 see a slant in everything. You even see it in headlines. You, you, I, I pull out my phone and you know scan it to the right, and there's the uh, and there are the headlines, and I can tell without picking out who the source of it was where it's from. Like I can tell what CNN is, or I can tell what Fox news is, or I can tell what the New York times said. It, it's so, so slanted. And, and, and unfortunately you don't have a lot of people that will look at multiple sources for information, which, you know, you kind of go back to what we discussed about back when the election happened, back when Trump won was all the people who were like, Oh, I can't believe it happened, and, and, and then what happened was those people were living in a world that they couldn't see what was happening, and it, it surprised them. Let's just say, like you know, so it, it, you've got the people with the blinders on, kind of living in a box, not looking at both sides of an argument, who just want to fall in love with one side of an argument and stick to that, and then just get blown away when the other thing happens. It's just more of the same now. It really is. It's all it's all morphed from from that into what we have now, and it's just so. I, I, it's not even hard to pay. It's even hard to pay attention to. All of it is, you know, and everybody keeps waiting for that aha moment or that gotcha moment. I, I just don't think it's going to come. I think it's just going to be what it is, and everyone's going to piss and moan until the next election, and get their chance to do it over again. 
I hope you're not getting close to the to, to Trump's viewpoint. It just kind of sounds like a little bit. It's all fake. It's all hashtag fake news, hashtag sad. Uh, I, I agree that you can tell which source the, uh, the, the, the story is from, depending on the headlines a lot of the time. Um, and I also agree that you need to look at more than one source. You can't rely on only CNN or only MSNBC. Uh, I think a lot of the problem is some. It seems a lot of these people are relying on multiple sources that are all just parroting exactly what they want to hear. So it doesn't matter if you're using five, six, seven, or eight websites that you're getting your news from. If they all are depend, you know, descendant from Breitbart, then it doesn't really matter. No. Uh, or if they're all <laughs> descendant from MSNBC, uh, right? People need to look at different sides and different viewpoints because you can see the same story covered completely different ways if you look at it from one side or from the other uh, and it's it's quite amazing you you pick up a lot of details that you wouldn't pick up if you just stuck to one side of the fence uh, and a lot of lot more people need to do that I, I definitely agree with that yeah you know and i've you know and i've i don't really have any particular leading i think i've talked about that on the show multiple times is there isn't one, you know, there isn't one side of the, of the aisle in, in our political system that's got all the answers or, you know, or, or that knows everything. So you're going to have to take, you have to pick and choose for yourself what, what fits, what fits for you. And, and that, that's worked for me. That's worked for me just fine. But I think it keeps me more open-minded, you know, and, and we, and with anything with media, I think we, we, we're almost as much of media critics on this show sometimes with sports media, especially, I think we, you know, get into the coverage of things just as much as we do some of the actual, the gambling and stuff like that, because some of it's just so ridiculous and, and, and you could, you could see the agendas and everything now is a narrative like with the NFL and all this stuff, even all this stuff with Trump, everything basically is let's take what we think are the facts and fit them into our narrative. So they actually start with the conclusion and then warp everything into the conclusion versus just reporting the news and letting people think for themselves. They have to tell you what to think. And that's where we've, that's where we've gone to now. And then social media and all the things and everybody with some, with an opinion and it's just sort of exacerbated everything, but there's not just, you just don't get the news here's what happened you have to it, the headline has to be sensationalized every youtube video has to have the red circle with the arrow pointing at something that doesn't actually mean anything um or, or like we know or, or the you know the top 10 reasons that trump's going to get impeached number six will blow your mind um oh no <laughs> yeah you know it, it's just, it, it, that's what it's become it's become entertainment news and it, it, it's just not, it's not for me. I just want to know what happened. I'll figure it out. Every People are smart enough. If you give them enough faith or have enough faith in them that they can figure things out for themselves, not have to be spoon fed everything. Although, you know, maybe people are just dumber now. Maybe we do need it. Every time I see them on, on TV getting interviewed, the typical man in the street. Yeah. I, I pretty much think people are just dumber. I, I, I hate to be that guy, but I mean, come on, listen to some of these people. And I think we're media critics and sports media specifically. Uh, number one, right off the top of the bat, A, because since we met each other in first grade, we've been watching sports on television, listening to it on the radio, and 
you know, sort of aspiring broadcasters. I still remember us uh, trying to do play-by-play as we watched the baseball games, uh, as we were sitting on the phone doing play-by-play to each other, sort of practicing when we were in, you know, third, fourth, fifth grade and whatnot. Uh, so this is very much important to us. And then here we are as adults doing a sports podcast. So we're sort of part of the sports media. It doesn't matter if we have three people listen to this podcast and two of them are us. It, it's still <laughs> sports media. Hey, we know. It's, we, we know. <laughs> we know and it's more. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's more than three. It's not much more than three, but it's more than three. Uh, for whatever small piece of it that we have, we're sports media. We are the media as well. We have our opinions, and and we criticize when we see something that really irritates us. Our sensibilities, what we've been watching for thirty years, what we know is good and and what we know is bad. Uh, we definitely come on the show and and let each other know and let anyone who's listening know what we think. And I think we do a very good job of being fair about it and, and not having biases and, and leaning one way or another. It doesn't matter how hot the, the the reporter is on TV. If she says something stupid, I'm going to make fun of her. Uh, and it doesn't matter how much I like the the guy, the former athlete uh, that I, I made money off of him uh, winning games in 1994 or something when I was betting baseball and stuff. If he says something stupid, I'm going to say something about him as well. John Smoltz is actually a perfect example of that. I like John Smoltz a lot as a commentator and I love him as a pitcher because I made money betting him because he was really good and I had him on a lot of fantasy teams. However, he says some stupid shit sometimes and I don't go on the show every time he says something stupid and and, and criticize him for it, but I absolutely will. Uh, if it's important enough, maybe next World Series, I'll try to make sure I write down specifically something that because he has he, he has his moments where he goes off and sort of leans on old school baseball truthisms that aren't really true. Uh, and I think he feels comfortable saying those things because, well, I played the game, so I can say these things. And I can say that it's important that you have this chemistry in the locker room, and it's important that you have this and that that, that I believe is important because I won. I played the game, and I won, so I can say these things are important, even though these things actually aren't important. So that's usually where he goes off the rails for me. And, and uh, next time he says so, I'll try to write it down and, and make a point of it. Well, it's good. Yeah, but you've got you've got the – the baseball purists, you know, all the unwritten rules of the game type people, and the, you know, and then you've got your more like new school kind of guys who are, you know, a little bit more free and easier. But yeah, yeah Smoltz is definitely know. part of the baseball police side of it. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think you see that more. It's funny, like you watch, um, you watch a lot of these you know, networks, especially like MLB network and Smoltz. Smoltz was on there again tonight uh, doing a whole bit with, I think it was Sean Casey. They were doing a bit because I don't know if you saw the end of the Cardinals game today, but they basically lost the game yeah. because the yeah, pitcher didn't was watching first out, base. Actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they broke it down and, you know, and they, they did it really well. So, the, you know, these are people who are, are good players who, who knew their craft and, and, and can articulate it. Um, and I, I still, I still think John Smoltz is in the WWE though, because every time I see Cesaro, all I can think of is John Smoltz. Very similar hairlines. Yeah, they, 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 they look about the same. That's just me. Just, I, every time I see one or the other, I can't tell them apart anymore. Um, they've just sort of morphed into one person now for me. But yeah, then there's, but you see that with like the better the player was, 
the more harsh they seem to be, the more critical they seem to be. And maybe that's what it takes to be, you know, really good. And then you take it like to the other side and you see the little bit more free and easy guys on that channel, like the, the Kevin Millars and the, the Eric Burns's guys who were not great baseball players. They had moments, but especially like Eric Burns was just a, basically a clown. You know, he's, <laughs> that's what he's on there for. He's basically the court jester of the channel. They seem to be a little bit more on this, the, the free and easy, you know, it's not, you know, where you get the guys who are like the, the, the artists in the game and the better the players were, it seems like they come down on the more hard edge side of it. You saw that, believe it or not, you saw that a lot with uh, like A-Rod during the postseason when he was doing all the broadcasting of that World Series and all the stuff on Fox. Um, you know, seemed to fall into the category on a lot of areas with the more hard-edged you know, unwritten rules and things like that, and very critical of, of things that he was seeing, where you have some other guys are a little bit, you know, less so. And it seems like it has a lot to do with how good they were at playing the game of baseball. I don't know if Eric Burns was quite a clown. He, was, he wasn't Nick Swisher or anything like that. Uh, but no, I completely agree because when I think of when I hear Pedro Martinez, and you have to work hard and sort of listen hard when he talks because he's not, English is clearly not his first language. But yeah, he will not hesitate to go in on somebody uh, when he has a problem. <laughs> no, no, it's fun. He's fun, man. When he gets his when he gets his hackles up about something, when he gets rankled, he can can spit out some funny lines and, and some good, funny, harsh criticism. But it's it, it is constructive. But yeah, you're right. The, the 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 better the player and Pedro was obviously one of the greatest whoever did it. Uh, the more critical they seem uh, that they can be. And, and that, that makes sense when you think about just life in general. The more successful guys can say the, the more harsh things because they have more room to not give a fuck, basically. Uh, and that just plays right in. And I think that, that fits uh, as well in the NFL coverage. I'm trying to think of the better the player, are they harsher? Uh Dan Marino is a special case. I think he disproves it because he was he's one of the greats, but he had nothing to say. And I think that's more just personality-wise. If you don't want to rankle anybody, if you don't want to make anybody upset, and you're just gonna go, you know, years on a broadcast without saying anything constructive. I think I just think Marino's just that's his personality type. But uh, so maybe there's something to that uh, in baseball, but not in the NFL where it's more about your, your personality type. I'm not sure. I don't know if, if the, if the commentary is of quality and the opinions are good and the people aren't like too big of a douchebag about it. Like, you know, like you mentioned Marino who he can kind of be a dick about stuff on there. It's so can Boomer Esiason and these guys when they're talking oh, on yeah. the NFL stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's like, Wow. Get over yourselves there, guys. I mean, I know you were good players, but you can clearly see like almost an annoyance, you know, in the way that they in the way that they cover the game. Like that they, they, if, if if things aren't just perfect, they are going to be like hypercritical, which is again why you see in all sports that the like this is why the great players can never be coaches, you know. Because the ego 
is too large. And, 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 you, and you see that a lot, especially with the broadcasters. That's why it's, some of these guys, they look like they look like cranky, cranky grandpas because nobody could ever be as good as they are. So everybody sucks. Did Phil Sims, does Phil Sims make the Hall of Fame or not? I know he won the title with the Giants. Is he? A, is that a Hall of Fame quarterback? Because he's very, he's very critical of his job. I don't think Phil Sims is a Hall of Famer, but he sure talked like he was. He he he, he had a criticism for anybody and everybody. Um, and Troy Aikman, who I know is a Hall of Famer and won three rings, uh, also can be critical. But he's a, his personality is a little more laid back, uh, so he'll. He'll he'll pick and choose his spots to be ultra critical, uh, so I, it's a little more of a just general personality thing in football, I think. But in in the baseball coverage, I I, I agree. It does seem like the more successful you are, the the harsher you you tend to be. Right, and that's fine. You know, we're so so. How did we end up on this? What were we talking about again? Kings of non sequitur. We will get to baseball being broken, I promise you, uh, after I give our little plugs about how you can communicate with us. Uh, we are on Twitter. I'm at IMLD Dre. Jason is at IMLDJTG. Uh, you can always email the show with any questions or comments. You would send that to InMuchLessDetail at gmail.com. Our blog site, InMuchLessDetail.blogspot.com. We are ostensibly a football show. You go to our blog, you'll see all of our football picks that we've done for the last, uh, since 2010, I believe is when we started the blog. Uh, subscribe to the show on iTunes using your Apple device, uh, whatever Apple, I'm not sure if iTunes even uh, exists anymore the way people do things. Now, I think Apple sort of just do it on your Apple devices. Just go whatever apps you have on Apple, go to that and and search for in much less detail the podcast if you have a uh, an android device there's many different podcast apps that you can go to tune in mixcloud blueberry player.fm are just some of the podcasting apps that you can go to and find our show subscribe by email.com as well um you can always call the show if you have anything you'd like to add we had a good call last show uh, about basketball right off the top of the show have anything you want to add to this show? We've got 33 minutes left on our live show, and then we'll have an after show after that. Uh, our number, of course, as always, is area code 646-595-4534. And you're listening live to blogtalkradio.com slash in much less detail, where I will now finally ask Jason about baseball and the baseballs and what we've been watching uh, as far as the baseballs flying out of the yard at a record rate this year. It's just incredible. The number of guys that are hitting home runs that you, they, they hit it like with one hand and it goes out or they uh, hit a, a, a sort of a humpback line drive and it clears the wall. Uh, not to mention the Aaron judge type shots where they seem like they're going out of the state. Um, it, it looked different. And now we have the scientific evidence that it's different. Uh, because there's something going on with the baseballs. They're, the the juicing that we talked about in, in the uh, steroid era, now it appears the baseballs are the ones that are being juiced. And that's possible. Maybe we're going through a little bit of a live ball era here in baseball. Um, it's spread around, though. You know, so it's not like we're it, – it, it's – I don't think it's the players 
that are that are juiced. I mean, we can't say that it's completely eliminated out of the game completely, but you know, it, it there's a lot of there's a lot of home runs flying around. I I don't think I think there's a lot of bad pitching in baseball right now. You know, you look around in general, and you've got your your sort of just general upper echelon groups of starters. You know, it's 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 that core, but there's a lot of really rotten rotations out there floating around in baseball right now. So maybe we're just seeing it sort of like coming back around the other way, where it was you know it was you know we we, we saw a lot of dominance in the pitching stabs, and maybe we we. we it's turned around towards the hitting side now. And it, I think that's kind of the way it's gone. We see it with football where it goes offense for a while and then it goes defense for a while. And, you know, it's, the waves of players coming in all seem to be like really good at that area that's weak somewhere out on the field. And I think we're seeing a lot of stud hitters and just big guys, you know, coming up you know we, we 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 talk about our our boy joey gallo right with his 192 average but man he's got what 22 23 home runs right now so you, you've you've got these guys who they get the ball in that perfect spot and they can hammer the ball for a mile and that's all they can do and baseball is full of those guys so as long as pitchers are avoiding like that spot where the guy is going to jack the home run out they're okay but there aren't enough great pitchers in baseball that can work around these guys who have that legit power area. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. And it'll eventually, I think, turn back the other way because you can't have baseball being a bunch of two ten hitters all hitting, you know, crap tons of home runs. You just can't, that'll be boring. Well, is it boring or is it getting more people to watch because chicks dig the long ball? I'm still not sure that this isn't, some sort of nefarious plan. I'm not saying it is. I don't have any, obviously I don't have any proof of that, but I'm not sure it's not. This may be something that's sort of engineered by baseball, by Rob Manfred and the powers that be. I'm not so sure. Uh, Obviously not going to get into all the gory stats. You can look them up yourself if you want, but just to get a timeline uh, since July, 2015, the home run rates have been skyrocketing. Uh, they've been called Super Balls. Uh, of course, you know, I listen to Dan Bernstein's radio show in Chicago. Sure. He calls them Titleists uh, because they look like golf balls <laughs> yeah. launched all over the place. Um, and this, this coincided with some sort of change in the uh, the manufacturing of the baseballs uh, going into uh, Costa Rica, they're they're all handmade. I did not. I, I found this out looking up some of this information tonight. I had no idea. All the baseballs are handmade. Uh, all the major league baseballs are handmade in Costa Rica uh, by Rawlings uh, to kids that are probably paying you know two cents an hour or something like that. And, and all the main, all the minor league baseballs are made by a machine. They're 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 a lot more uniform in the minor leagues because they're actually being spit out by a machine. I have absolutely no idea why we can't have a machine make the major league baseballs, but that's the way they do it. They've they're handmade. They've always been handmade and that's just how it is. But since this change to uh, this factory in Costa Rica by Rawlings, uh, there's been 
blisters developing everywhere. There's uh, there's a blister problem because the seams might be different, uh, higher rays depending on who you ask. Uh, so finally, some people got down and did the the real research, the gory research. Uh, there was an article on June 14th put out by uh, Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer. And like I said, I won't get into the stats, but the the opening paragraph of this article is so spot on as, as to what's going on and, and so beautifully written that I'm going to read it uh, word for word because it was just perfect. This is uh, Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer. He wrote... Whether it's Scooter Jeanette going deep four times in one game, Chris Carter waving a one-handed homer, Marwin Gonzalez surprising himself by clearing the fence with what he thought was a flyout, or a record seven grand slams on one day, the 2017 baseball season has supplied constant reminders that we're watching game featuring unprecedented power. This year's MLB batters have hit 2,395 home runs, which puts them on pace to break the all-time season single-season record of 5,693, set in 2,000 by almost 350 homers. We know what was happening in 2000, of course, because we were around. We're old enough to remember what in the world was going on in 2000. There were biceps bulging everywhere. There were guys' heads, craniums were going to, you know, two and three and four different uh, hat sizes, bigger. Uh, it was the steroid era. It's what has not been, uh, I guess, acknowledged by most of the people that were in the middle of it. But what we all saw with our eyes was the steroid era and producing the, the Barry Bonds and the Mark McGuire's and the Sammy Sosa's and the Jason Giambi's and the Rafael Palmeiro's and the list goes on and on and on and on. Uh, the guys that were obviously juicing. They're on a pace to break that. Think about that. They're on a pace right now to break those records. The guys that are doing that. No one's going to, apparently, no one's going to hit 73 homers like Barry Bonds did. Uh, but it's still it's still very, very telling uh, that the baseballs are such that those home run records uh, for the major leagues are, are being threatened by the, the bounciness of the baseballs, that the baseballs are clearly bouncier than they have been before. Uh, Lindbergh did uh, did his own testing um, uh, for this Ringer article. Uh, June 28th, two weeks later, a different testing was done by uh, the website 538. Uh, Rob Arthur and uh, baseball physicist Alan Nathan, they did their own testing and came up with the same conclusions, that the balls are bouncier than they have been, that there's a bigger was a coefficient of restitution uh, basically mean the balls are springing off the bat longer than they had been before. Um, and in uh, Rob Arthur's article on 538, he had a very informative uh, paragraph as well. Rob Arthur wrote this, this is on June 28th. MLB declined to comment on the story, except to note that the league regularly tests the balls to make sure they fall within a defined range of standards. MLB statement might be true, but it is hollow. The range of acceptable measurements is so wide that according to a 2000 report commissioned by MLB, two balls could both pass inspection, even if they were constructed so differently that one would be hit 49 feet further than the other. 
And he writes, my own research shows that drag alone could lead to a 30 foot difference in fly ball distance, which fits the results of controlled experiments on official baseballs. And baseball physicist Alan Nathan found that just a seven foot difference in batted ball distance is enough to raise home run rates by 25%, which means that MLB standards are so broad that they could permit a 100% change in home run rates without the commissioner ever finding a ball outside the acceptable range. To say that baseballs are still within the permitted specifications is like noting that a race car and a minivan are both automobiles. It's not wrong, but if you pit them against each other in a drag race, a Ferrari will still be the Dodge Caravan every time. That was uh, Rob Arthur on 538.com. So clearly the balls are different. Clearly they're juiced up. And and the question then becomes, well, what's baseball going to do about it? And over the uh, the home run derby and, and Aaron Judge, did you watch the home run derby, by the way? Did you watch any of that? I did not. I did not watch that. It was like Actually, nothing I... I've ever seen. It, it really was. Yeah. And it's not like they were hitting those balls out at Coors Field. They were doing that at sea level. Keep that. Think mm-hmm. about that. Heavy, humid air. And inside, indoors. Yeah. They, that's, that stadium, the roof was closed down in Miami for the for the home run derby. And we know the roof was closed for the home run derby because Aaron Judge hit a ball off the roof that they didn't know was a home run or not during the home run derby. And the reason they didn't know it was a home run or not was because there were no ground rules about a ball hitting the roof. And the reason there were no ground balls about a, a ground rules about the ball hitting the roof is because when they constructed that stadium, they didn't think a ball would ever hit the roof. They didn't construct that stadium for meant for a ball to, to hit the roof. The reason there's ground rules about balls hitting the roof at Tropicana Field down in Tampa Bay is because that ain't a baseball stadium. That stadium was constructed 700 years ago, and they just happened to be playing baseball in there because Tampa Bay has a team. But this stadium was actually built for baseball, and that roof, that retractable roof in Miami, was made to keep everything inside. They never anticipated a ball hitting the roof because it's not supposed to be done, and Aaron Judge did it. And I really don't think he would do something like that if the balls were what they had been before July of 2015. So what is baseball doing about it? During that same All-Star break, on July uh, 11th, there was a, a press conference in which the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manford, basically did the Bud Selig thing and shrugged his shoulders and said, the balls are within range. There's, there's really nothing to, to see here. There's nothing I can do. The balls are all within range. They're all good. So it's that's why I think that I, you can't rule out that this is something that they're doing on purpose or that they know how to fix it and they're just choosing not to. Because if they're really just looking at the way things are happening right now and these records potentially being set, and they're just going to throw their hands up and say, nothing I can do about it. If they're going to do that, then there really is nothing uh, that anyone can do. But I don't think it, it works that way. I can't imagine baseball being that powerless and just saying, well, the balls are being manufactured differently and there's nothing we can do. I, I, Am I am I crazy? Am I being a, a conspiracy theorist here? What what do you think about all this? But there's there's nothing compelling other than to just thinking maybe this is driving ratings. But I, I mean I'm watching baseball not consciously aware of the fact that the the scores have been very high and they have been. You've seen a lot of scoring in games, but since oh you're seeing gosh. a lot of this, 
since you're seeing a lot of this kind of spread out all around all around the league, and yeah, you do have a few, you have like Aaron Judge and you know, and, and Bryce Harper. You, you know, oh, there's uh, another guy I saw today, and I forget who it is who had a, a lot of home runs. Who was like right there, almost at that Aaron Judge level for home runs because he's he's doing the usual, coming off the home run derby, and in a little bit of a slump, which is. Uh, I saw a report on the news, of course, it was on the news, so it must be true, that said that that's totally disproven, the the thing about the, the people who participate in the Home Run Derby come out and, like, the power's gone after the Home Run Derby. I believe in that. I watched that for way too many years where guys would go off to the Home Run Derby, get into this groove of swinging for the fences, come back into the games, and that's all they're trying to do. They stopped playing baseball and just started trying to hit home runs. And it took a little while for these guys to kind of snap back to earth and like think about playing baseball again and like moving runners and, you know, hitting the ball just with, with authority anywhere instead of just trying to hit the 450 foot bombs. So I do prescribe to that theory, even though apparently it's been debunked, um, which is not a conspiracy theory. But nobody's sitting around, to your point, thinking like, well, I hope that baseball sets the all-time mark for home runs in a season. Who cares? I mean, that's going to be, when they hit it, just a a footnote on what we're seeing with this sort of offensive explosion. And why not? We've had offensive explosions in football. We've had offensive explosions in, in basketball. I mean, with what we've seen with, like, all the three balls and these teams and all these three ball specialists, and we talked about that in the whole last show about the NBA. People apparently want to see scoring. Apparently, watching a, a 10 to 8 baseball game is a lot more thrilling than watching a a, a a 1 to nothing game or a 2 to 1 game. Ironically, when you actually got all the best pitchers in the league in the All-Star game against all these guys hitting all these bombs, what did we get? A 2 to 1 baseball game. <laughs> Which kind of goes yeah. to my point about the pitching also kind of being shitty right. in the league, the, too. The best pitchers uh, facing the best hitters, the best pitchers are going to usually come out on top. That's yep. usually how that's why the that's why score that's why you get to the postseason and the scoring goes down. You get the really good marquee matchups between really good teams and the scoring goes down. Um, so event, yeah, we'll get to the postseason. We're not going to be seeing twelve to ten games. We're going to get to the postseason and see a lot of four to three nail biters because we're going to see teams with, you know, they're in the playoffs for a reason. They can hit and they can pitch. There's a lot of teams out there that can't do that. And I think we're seeing the combination of the Super Bowls or whatever we want to call them and some really, really awful pitching and some marquee pitchers who've become awful, <laughs> you know, <laughs> without a lot of great pitchers teams. to replace them. Right. But think about that. Who are the young aces right now? You know, Like really young uh, guys who are coming up, like the phenom pitchers who are coming up, and it, it's been a while since some of these really good pitchers have come up. And some of the pitchers who used to be those guys, like oh, Justin Verlander, uh, Matt Kane, you know, you think a lot of uh, about these guys who who used to be like upper echelon pitchers who've regressed quite a bit. Um, and you look at the Cubs rotation this year. The Cubs had the, the, like a stacked rotation last year. And you've got, you know, Lester and Arietta and all these. They, they've been very pedestrian the, the way it's been. So you've seen a, a regression with a lot of pitching 
and it, other than like Clayton Kershaw, it, and in Clayton Kershaw, there's been <laughs> there have all those not guys, been a ton of great pitching you, performances. You mentioned that I don't see anything unusual in what's happening with all those guys. The, all those guys you mentioned are in their thirties. And I don't know, is there yet a 29 or 30? They're all in their 30s, and they're all power yeah. pitchers, which means they're going to fall off a cliff at some point. There's there's nothing really surprising to me about any of that. Uh, what's a little surprising is the way pitching has gone, and we've seen this coming all these years, uh, being so much more reliant on the bullpen. So uh, the the guys that you would bring on as your, your innings eaters – uh, the Bartolo Colons uh, turned into that late in his career. The the Ryan Dempster types, uh, Jason Marquis kept the job for years and years and years. Jamie Shields is doing that right now. Those guys are getting a little more scarce because you're not sending them out there for five and six innings to 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 eat innings and save your young staff. They're getting bombed so badly you're sending them out there for three innings and then going right to your bullpen because this doesn't do any good to to keep them around you know any longer than you have to. Uh, so that's a little surprising, but yeah, the the young guys coming up, every young guy that comes up, if he doesn't throw ninety seven, seems like he's going to come up, he's going to get bombed, he's going to go sent back down, he's going to have to learn how to pitch a different way, because once you get up here with again with this this super ball with this titleist, there's so little room for error. If you come up and you don't hit your spots exactly, you're going to get destroyed, and I think that might be as big a reason as any why you don't see more young pitching is because if you don't come up, if you're young and you don't come up, you don't have everything ready to go. If you're not 100% ready to pitch in the majors right now, you're going to get killed. K I L T killed. And so many kids that have come up and gotten beaten up and get sent back right back down. No wonder they're afraid to bring up uh, any of these young guys that are uh, big time prospects. I'm sitting here in my, in my 12 team mixed fantasy league and I'm, I got this list of guys that I'm waiting for them to bring up and let them have a, a, a start or two because that's how it used to work. You bring up these kids halfway through the season and you give them a, a spot start or two and you see who sticks and who doesn't. And if they don't stick, you send them back down. There, A lot of these guys that I'm waiting for, they're afraid to, to bring them up. Uh, as I go to my list right now and try to see just a, a short example of young guys that are thought to be really, really good starting pitching prospects that have not gotten one single start in the majors this year because their parent teams are so afraid to bring them up here and get them, get them destroyed. Uh, let's see, Luke Weaver of the Cardinals, uh, his ERA, and, and obviously I'm very close to that situation down here in Memphis. That dude's ERA, you probably never heard of him. His ERA is like 192. He's like 10 and 1 this year in AAA. He's got nothing left to prove in AAA. They need to bring him up, but they're not going to because they're afraid of bringing anybody up uh, because they're afraid that they're going to get destroyed. Uh, let's see, who else? Chance Adams of the Yankees. I was just listening to that telecast uh, because the Yankees are playing before we went on the air. Um, they're afraid to bring him up. They're, they're not going to bring him up before they have to. Brent Honeywell of the, of the Rays. Uh, Michael Kopech of the White Sox, Reynaldo Lopez, again, of the White Sox. These guys are striking out 10 guys a night in AAA, and they refuse to to bring them up to the parent club. Uh, Jose De Leon of the Rays got brought up, I think, for like two relief innings. 
and sit right back down. They don't, they're so afraid to bring these kids up because if you don't have it right when you come up, you're going to get killed. And that's, I think that's a really big reason that you don't see as many young uh, kids going up right now. Right. So the guys who are being brought up aren't as good as the upper flight right. guys, or they're getting called up and they're failing. And, you know, then you see a bounce back. Uh, the kid from Minnesota, Berrios, right? They brought him up last year. He got killed. They sent him back. Brought him up last year. He was. He just got destroyed last year. And they were like, "Whoa, not ready." This year, he was ready. Good. Been. He's been good. So, but you know, he had to he had to come up and have that initial heavy dose of failure, control problems. Strikeouts were always there, but you know, the, the strikeout guys who walk a lot of people, you're, you're not going to win a lot of games when you've got a hundred pitchers in four innings. Oh no. <laughs> and, and you see yeah, way not, too many not around the pitch five, yeah. obviously you can't right. win the game. So you have a lot of, Tim you Ricardo have a lot of starters. You, let us, you have a lot of starters who throw, but they don't pitch. So that means you have bullpen games. I, I think that this whole thing with the home runs and all the scoring isn't just the baseballs. I think it's, just a symptom of a larger problem right now. The disease is bigger than than just the one thing. I think the ba- you can put it, it's all piling on top. You have the baseballs, the lack of pitching. It's never just fear one thing, of bringing right. up. It's yeah. It's it, it's not it, you know it's not what it, well it was just one thing the last time it went through this. It was one thing. <laughs> that was the needle. <laughs> yeah, that was one thing. Uh, I haven't seen any. Nobody's thrown any syringes on the field this year, have they? No. Um, as big as Aaron Judge is, and as big as Michael Stanton is down in Miami, those guys look like they're naturally big. Those guys are more like Frank Thomas than Sammy Sosa. They look like they came out of the womb big as fuck. So nobody's really suspecting them of anything. I don't think. Yeah, yeah. Aaron Judge kind of has that sort of Frank Thomas quality, except he's not a singles hitter. No. <laughs> well, if Frank Thomas had this baseball, what do you think he'd do? He did fit the homers, wouldn't he? I'm oh geez. Yeah, he's one of the guys who could have done it, but 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 you know, to Frank Thomas's credit, and I was I'm never I've never been a White Sox fan, but looking back, you know, because I always hated Frank Thomas, right? Because <laughs> he was a White Sox player, so I couldn't like him. But looking back now on the on the, the the career of Frank Thomas and what he was doing through an era when everybody was was juicing, he was he was clean as hell. But he was a, he, he was a hell of a ball player because you know I, I always give him shit for saying I'm a singles hitter. He did say that, and it was the dumbest thing that the, the guy that's like you know six three and probably two eighty playing baseball looks like he should be out there playing D line. Uh, playing baseball, like hey, I'm just going to go out there and, <laughs> and hit some hit some bloopers, you know, and 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 do it that way. But yeah, he he was a he was a hell of a baseball player. That that hurts for me to say he was he was a great player. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame to do what he did in that era when everybody's out there just you know knocking 60, 70 home runs, and, and you got Frank Thomas out there for year after year was constant power, constant average. A better 
defensive first baseman. He could pick it, but he couldn't throw. Frank Thomas was the worst throwing oh. baseball player I think I've ever seen. He threw like you. Hey! <laughs> How old is that bad? Wait, who did I just insult more? Did I just insult you or Frank Thomas more? I threw a softball just fine, if you remember. I can't throw a football to save my life. That's where I have a problem. I never got that the spiral thing right on the football. All my footballs went end over end. But I could throw a softball just fine. I actually won a long-distance uh, softball throwing competition in a sixth-grade summer camp that I attended. So I'll, I'll thank you to, to take that back, pal. <laughs> I, I okay. He he threw almost. You threw almost as bad as Frank Thomas. <laughs> Throwing a football was not your thing. I, I the oh I've never God. seen someone try to hold a football with the tips of their fingers, just exclusively the tips of their fingers, like they're holding it on a pedestal, and, and then try to like shuffle it forward. Yeah, watching you try to throw a football was painful. It is. It really is. But you, but you, you could throw the softball just fine. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, I don't. Uh, as far as the 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 baseballs being super balls, and is baseball possibly behind it or whatever you say? That what's there to gain out of it besides uh, you know attendance or, or more people watching? I think that's enough. I think that's that's. I don't think baseball. Uh, I, I don't have any proof that they're doing anything nefarious or trying to ha- uh, have any secrets. But I think that's enough of a of an incentive to try to get some of these fans back in these seats. When you look at uh, a Yankees game uh, at at Yankee Stadium and you get that home camera shot uh, of of the seats behind home plate and like all of them are empty except for two, um, and, and the the two that are there are dressed in a way that you can tell they didn't buy those, you know, several hundred dollar seats that they got them off a of secondary market for a very cheap rate and, you know, decided to splurge a little bit and, and go to a game. I, I think they could do something desperate to try to get those seats backfilled again. And I think this is a way to do it. You, you, you get Aaron judge coming up this year. It's, it's almost easy to forget that he's still a rookie because of how much face of the game stuff and how much hype has been put behind him. But isn't it interesting? He comes up, he he has his early success, and all of a sudden you see uh, a new seating section out in, in the bleachers at Yankee Stadium called the Judges' Chambers, and you got all these guys in black robes with white wigs and gavels, and, it, and now it's a thing to to be out there in the in the section, and it's only uh, it might only be twelve seats because of the twelve on a jury board. It might be more than that. I don't, I don't exactly remember. Uh, but isn't it funny how? People are so quick to capitalize on somebody having just a little bit of success in their rookie year. Uh, it's a, it's a lot of success you know, when you you're leading the league in home runs in your rookie year, but it's a small sample size when you consider the the length of somebody's career. It, it's a small sample size, and all of a sudden they're jumping all over it and making marketing uh, opportunities out of it. I, I absolutely think baseball could do something like that, trying to to get more attention, especially in this day and age when there's a lot, 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 lot more entertainment options than there were back in uh, uh, in the in 2000 when Sosa and Bonds and McGuire were doing what they were doing. And the whole the thing that really got me that I just was mystified by again purely and solely a media creation because you could tell it was a media creation because it all sort of crept up at the same time and it was like across channels it was amazing how it's on mlb network it's on it's on 
ESPN, and it's all at the same time. This whole Aaron Judge is the face of the game. Who's who is mm-hmm. the face of baseball? Is it who? Okay, one who cares. Th- that's one. He's a rookie. He can't be the face of baseball. So just stop talking about it. He's played half a season, and now he's like the ambassador for the whole game of baseball. Shut up. Just just stop. <laughs> that's that's a creation for people to sit around on their little panel shows or fill 24 hours of time on all the different shows that are really the same show. You watch that, you watch that block of shows on ESPN, that two to five o'clock segments, you know, where they have uh, like round the horn and PTI and, and, and all the topics on every one of those five or six shows are the same. They're all the same. They're all the same. That's the same show just with different people reacting to the topic, and all of a sudden you creep up onto every single show, and was oh, Aaron Judge the face of baseball? Oh, then you got somebody you know is going to jump in and say, no, it's this guy or somebody like, oh, shut up. Where did this come from? Who floated this out there and said, this is what we should be talking about now, guys? It's like we talked about before with the news. Here's here's the narrative. Here's the conclusion. Now let's let's fit all the neat pieces into that. Um, that's not and just home is. runs. That's uh, that's the, the fact that he's doing that as a Yankee is plays a big part of that as well. Because nobody would be asking if he's the oh, face yeah, of no. baseball if he played for the Seattle Mariners. Exactly. It's funny you said the Mariners because that's the first thing I was thinking of. I was like, yeah, if he if he played out on the coast, if he played for the Padres, <laughs> and no one's asking if Will Myers is the face of baseball. We, right. Uh, <laughs> no, not at all. You uh, you mentioned uh, a little bit of the the White Sox hate as a Cub fan, and I'm a White Sox fan, so I always have some Cub hate. Uh, and yet, our two teams got together, and amidst everybody's on the radio screaming their narrative again with the narrative that the White Sox and Cubs can't ever get together and make a trade, you look up and oh, look at that! The White Sox have traded Jose Quintana to the Cubs for a boatload of, of prospects, not just prospects, but like top prospects. Eloy Jimenez well, is thought of as one of yeah. the best prospects in baseball. Yeah, two two top prospects. There was Jimenez, and then there was another guy who was just a few notches down below him in that Cubs system. And honestly, you, you break this down, yeah. forget about the teams involved. You look at what the Cubs got. They got, or you know, Team A gets Jose Quintana. Team A needs a frontline starter really badly because you've got aging pitchers, hurt pitchers, and your team's in a funk, and it's at the deadline. They just had lost a whole crap load of games, embarrassingly. I mean, they got destroyed in that finale uh, before the All-Star game, and that was about that. That was that low point they hit right there, and all of a sudden, hey, look, bomb. You know, Theo Epstein goes out there and lands early in the trade season, probably the best available starter who everybody was just sure was going to go to one of these, uh, you know, other competing teams. And and, and then, you know, team a jumps out and makes the deal. Team B (laughs) gets back in the trade, a top prospect, a second tier prospect and two kind of lower prospects forgetting about that. It's the Cubs and the white Sox. It's just one team and the other. You know, Team B, the White Sox, rebuilding, 
trying to stockpile talent. They own now, they now own some ridiculous, like 11 out of the top 100 prospects in baseball. They now own. Um, so they are clearly trying what we talked about early in the season, which you said they would not be able to do, which would be to stick to a plan and accumulate a lot of talent. They're clearly accumulating a ton of talent. Eloy Jimenez could be great. Who knows? The, the, any of those other guys that they got could be great. But we know right now that Jose Quintana is already great. The Cubs are not playing for three years from now, five years from now, seven years from now. The Cubs are playing for right now. They are the defending world champions that made perfect sense for them to tap into what was that top-rated farm system in baseball, which most of it has already come to fruition, and and play again for right now. So good move on their part. And they're kind of playing for White both Sox part. Quintana being so young. And Quintana's and under control. control. Yeah. I think yeah. that's pretty much the big reason they did that deal. Yeah. Was because they but were a shrewd young move. and they, they Epstein, are guaranteed yeah. to have them for the next four years at a very low price. Right. Theo Epstein's not dumb. We think he's proven that. I think Theo's got a pass for a while, right? He, he, you know, like somebody was, uh, I remember a couple of he weeks seems ago, to know what he was doing. Game. Kind of knows what he's doing, and, and somebody was. We were watching the Cubs game, and Mike Montgomery was out there just getting destroyed. And someone's like, "Ah, oh, this Montgomery guy sucks." I'm like, "He get he, he got the save in Game Seven of the World Series. He gets a pass for me forever." Yeah, you know? he can drink for free in Chicago the rest of his life. <laughs> That's right, Mike Montgomery. I don't care. Go out, get bombed. You you got Mike Michael Martinez to dribble weakly to third base at the end. You know, at the end of the World Series. You, you're a Chicago legend. You got the save in Game Seven of the World Series. I go you know, go good good job. Go out there and get destroyed. I don't care. Um, so my perspective has changed a little bit for that. It's now a win now mentality. Which again, and as a Cubs fan, you've never had this. You, you you've never been defending champions. You've never had a situation where. Oh, the team's in a little bit of a funk, and we were supposed to be breaking all these records, and we've got this great team, and we have to now go out and make a splash in the trade market. And that team has come out of the break now, and in that six-game winning streak they're sitting on right now is back to playing what they played through almost all of last year. They're taking walks, they're destroying the baseball, and they're pitching great. So something got through. Some, some kind of message got through. They they have a five and a half game deficit at the trade deadline. At, I mean, at the trade at the All Star game, that is down to one right now. In a week, the Cubs shaved four and a half games off the lead of the Brewers in one week. That's, well, that's pretty Cubs impressive. Are kinda, they're kind of good at baseball, and I think they were going yeah. to make some sort of run the entire time. As much as they were slumping the the whole first half, I, I I'm not alone. A, a lot of people thought they were going to make a run here in the second half, which they're in the middle of doing. And and I'm not letting off of of my prediction at the beginning of the year. I predict I called them to to go all the way and win the World Series again, and I still think they're going to do that because they have so much talent on that team. And I think it's totally understandable that they slumped in the first half, coming off of that incredibly long emotional postseason that they had 
which was coming off of, of a long emotional letdown of a postseason that they had the year before that. I think that's just a lot of baseball and a lot of emotions and a lot of different things. All those guys' lives changed uh, in the last couple of years. All of those guys' lives changed, whether you talk about Rizzo, Bryant, Russell, Baez, Contreras, Schwarber, the list goes on and all. All of those guys' lives changed in the last couple of years with the journey that they went on. And to think that they wouldn't have some sort of mental and or physical fatigue coming into to the, to the start of the season, I wasn't the least bit surprised. And, and I'm not surprised now that they're turning it around and I think they're going to just steamroll from here. I really do. Yeah, I, I, I'm not saying it's going to just be smooth sailing and they're going to, you know, they're going to win 70 out of the last 80 games here, but the division is still theirs for the taking. The Brewers don't have the horses um, to nope. keep up are with that Cubs team. If that, are you saying they're fake? Yeah, yeah, they're fake. Before we get to our real or fake, I do yes. want to just finish the, the Cubs-White Sox thing because for the Cubs, just to, to kind of put the little bow on that, those guys that the Cubs traded – they they were never going to see the majors probably for in a Cubs uniform that there that team is set and and I think that you you, you you've seen like uh, Hap come up who I'm surprised has even had to sense you know to, to get a sniff of the ball club and I think was mostly a, a byproduct of Schwarber kind of falling flat on his face this year going through a little bit of a readjustment period after basically becoming like the Paul Bunyan hero of Cubs folklore after coming back like he did last year for the postseason, just actually for the world series and then playing, you know, balls out and I mean, getting the hit it to start off game, you know, inning, you know, the 10th inning in game seven and he becomes like this folklore hero and just stopped trying to play baseball the way he's good at playing baseball and just wanted to basically be like a hero. He wanted to be like a superhero and needed that sort of humbling <laughs> moment. So Hap comes up and basically is one of the best Cubs, most consistent players um, in that first half. It was very brutal. But now you come out of the first half and you just look at what they're doing. I think the number was 40, 47 to 15 or something like that. They've outscored teams. Six to six wins that they've had coming out of the break. That was that's the Cubs. That's what, that's what I remember from last year. year. We see that for the rest of the year. They'll be, they'll be dangerous again. again. So, so the, 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 the White Sox, they're, they're, they're doing the right, the right thing. We have got to have touched on it yet before we get into a fake. Are you still on to do you believe that they can work the plan? The things that we talked about in the preseason season, that they were sort of resistant to Can they do the Westy? Build, tear down, down, build, and build that team. Yes, they can. I'll just say what I'm still concerned with. Um, as Jorge Soler, as some other guys uh, will attest, even the, the greatest, most stacked farm systems produce some guys that aren't studs. They produce some guys who are duds, and you have to decide who they are kind of early in the process before they uh, – sort of get ruined and lose any potential trade value. You have to decide who the, the studs are and who you're going to keep, and you have to decide who the duds are, who you can move before everyone else finds out their duds. You can move them for something of value. Uh, 
that's what I'm, that's my main concern is do the White Sox have the, the, the scouts, do they have the eyes in the organization smart enough to figure out who the, the studs and who the duds are amongst all these prospects, because not all of these prospects are going to be studs. That's just pretty much impossible. And I'm just hoping that they figure out who's the, the studs and who's the duds before it's too late. Uh, when you talk about someone just for instance, uh, like Michael Kopech who throws apparently one Oh three and he's not in the major leagues yet. I start kind of breaking out in hives and I start getting Matt Anderson flashbacks. You remember Matt Anderson uh, for the Tigers was this guy. Everyone said that he throws a hundred. Uh, you can't touch him. He's just smoke. He's just going to come up and dominate. And yet they kept putting off, bringing him up because obviously the Tigers knew he wasn't all that. And they kept trying to get him seasoning and kept trying to turn him into a, a good pitcher before they brought him up. And they finally just had to bring him up because you're going to wait too long. He's going to, be no good at all but they brought him up to see what he had and he had nothing he had a hundred mile an hour fastball that got killed and then there you go you have a, a big time prospect who amounts to nothing and so i'm kind of getting a little itchy when i think about kopech and how dominant he's supposed to be and yet they won't bring him up either uh that's just one example but that's my big concern can rick Hahn, uh and, and kenny williams above him uh figure out who the guys are that they can put the put the put their eggs in the in the basket and say this guy is going to be our shortstop for the next six years and uh, we're gonna bring him up and, and make sure he does what he needs to do. This guy Moncada is gonna be our second baseman for the next ten years and we're gonna bring him along and bring him up and make sure that he has all the tools necessary to be successful. Uh, that's just my biggest concern, but but obviously they're the way they're stockpiling is extremely reminiscent of what Theo Epstein did. Uh, you can't argue with the, the rankings of the prospects that they're getting. They're all very highly ranked. They've turned their farm system from the worst in baseball uh, just three or four short years ago to now maybe the best uh, when you look at the, the number of high-ranked prospects that they have. And that's amazing, and that's great, and they, and they should be applauded for that. But there's this, the second part of that rebuild uh, is not just amassing the prospects. It's figuring out which of those prospects aren't going to amount to shit and, and moving them to a, another team that isn't bright enough to know that uh, while they still have some value and, and, and still making something uh, out of nothing and uh, with those guys who aren't going to amount to anything. Right. And we didn't, you know, and they, they shipped off Todd Frazier and David Robertson. So we, we, we saw that trade happen too. So yeah, they're, they're clearing the decks. We knew this was going to happen. You, you were you were not sure that they would do it all. And here it is. Quintana gone. Frazier gone. Robertson gone. Who's next? Is anyone safe? Is anyone, or is it just, we just keep making these deals and getting rid of these pieces? I think all the veterans are, uh, unsafe i think they should i think milky cabrera should be uh renting not buying uh, all, all the veterans that maybe not obviously el garcia because of the the breakout year that he wound up having uh turning into an all-star uh it's amazing just as simple as when we were talking about it in the off season and and right as the season was starting it's amazing what you can do when you hit the ball hard and up 
It's instead of just hard and at somebody. It's a very simple adjustment that Avi had to make, and he and he finally made it this year. So it's good to see that. So they 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 might hang on to him and make him sort of the 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 man that they build around. You remember what the Cubs had with Starlin Castro? They kept him around and sort of made him the guy that we build all, build around while we bring up all these young guys around him. And then when the time is right, you ship out uh, Starlin and and get something of value for him. It may be something similar with the White Sox, where they keep Avi around for the next two or three years, see if he keeps developing, and maybe he'll develop into, you know, a perennial All Star. In which case, you make him a long term deal, uh, or he might just peter out. In which case, you want to jump on him and and move him while he still has value. Um, but all the other veterans, absolutely, pack your bags and and be ready to move at a at a moment's notice because Rick Hahn is selling everybody he can for any good prospects and and so far so good like i said the, the one thing that i'm worried about is just make sure you keep the guys that are going to be good and make sure you identify who's going to be not so good and and get something of value for them while you can yeah okay so now we can move on i got i just wanted to hear what you felt about that yeah so far so good uh so our baseball edition of real or fake could go you know the next 45 minutes because of how many teams are still in contention i don't want to obviously do that but just looking at the american league uh as if i count up real quick the number of teams that are let's pick an arbitrary number and say within three games of 500 okay so only uh three games down in a loss column or better that would constitute one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten of the fifteen teams in the American League are three games under five hundred or better. Uh, so I don't want to go through all ten of them because that would be a, a long slog. Or maybe you do. Maybe you want me to to list off all ten and you have a quick take on on all of them. I don't know. Uh, well. I mean, we if we if it depends because one thing that we are not is short-winded. That's for sure. <laughs> we could probably just do one team and talk about one team for the whole time. So if we can do this quick, if we can kind of get a little rapid fire thing going here, sure. Let we could we could fire through them. All right. In the American League West, there is zero doubt of who's winning the division. It's the Houston Astros. They are just dominating. The Seattle Mariners are 15 and a half games in back of the Astros. They're not catching them to, to win the division. However, the Mariners are 48 and 48. They're right at 500. They could find a way to get a wild card spot. They are absolutely in contention. They're, uh, I'll give you these teams' records and the, the run differential. I don't know if you put as much value in that in baseball as you do in football, but it is very, very interesting to see some of these teams' run differentials on the season. The Mariners are 48 and 48 and their run differential absolutely backs up that they're a 500 team because their run differential on the season coming into tonight is plus one. Oh, one run <laughs> for the entire season. They're 500 and their run differential is 500. So the Seattle Mariners. I, I have to go real. We, we were both really on board with them before the season started. They have a, they have, there's too much talent on that team offensively, and their pitching has been solid. So I am going to just be on board and say that this is the year. Maybe 
that the Mariners can put it together. They started off terrible. They started yes. off like not, not not Toronto bad, but they were bad early in the season. I mean, the only guy that for them that could pitch was James Paxton, who then got hurt, who then was terrible, and now seems to be back into form again. And now you look up and he's nine and three with a very respectable ERA. Um, the offense has been there for that team. I like that team, so I'm going to say real for the Mariners. I'm gonna, I know I'm going to just dread this, but I said real. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll dread it with you because I concur. I, I, that lineup does still impress me. It's you know the same lineup that made us both pick them to to make the playoffs before the season began, um, and I still think that they can put it together. Robinson Cano is actually having a better year than – uh, than I thought he would. He's he's one of the better players in baseball this year. And I was surprised that he initially didn't make the all-star team. Then they finally put him on as an alternate. And what happens? He hits the home run to win the game in, in extra innings. Uh, and now the AL gets home field. To, oh, wait. <laughs> no, this time it doesn't count. <laughs> they could. I'm still totally – see, I'm still totally on board with the fact that the Cubs not having home field was why they won the World Series. It's one of those things we can never prove. We we can never know if they would have still won the World Series I, if they had to play six and seven at I, home. Yeah, I think if six and seven were at home, it would have been tight sphincter time, and I think they were able to go mm-hmm. to Cleveland and play a little bit more loose, uh, not having to try to break the curse of history and everything in front of those fans who are all sitting there waiting for something bad to happen. Yeah. It very well might be true. Uh, the, the other thing about the Mariners that I, I find interesting is that they could have had a, a potential terrible bullpen situation. I think a, a, one of the big reasons the Rangers are so far down that I'm not even I'm not even bringing them up for uh, real or fake because they're five games under. Uh, one of the big reasons is because their bullpen situation. It's everybody they put in that closer spot it just get blowed up. Uh, just exploded and the Mariners could have had that as well because Edwin Diaz had some troubles early in the year but what they did was they sat him down from the closer role they let him uh, get the the low pressure situation for a couple of weeks and then when he got his confidence back they put him back in there and he's been pretty good since then so that's another big reason why I go real for the Mariners is that they're so far avoiding some of the bullpen pitfalls uh, that have befallen uh, a lot of other teams here. So in that same division, there's a team between the Mariners and the Rangers that is three games under 500, and that's the Angels. Uh, their run differential, however, is minus 19. So that would make me – I know which way that makes me lean, but, Jason, the L.A. Angels, real or fake? I I got to go with fake. I mean, yeah, they got Mike Trout back, and that's nice, and, and he's generally considered to be the most all-around, well-rounded best player in the league is that – He's in the conversation if there's a top two or three. Mike Trout's in it for offensive players in the league. Um, I'm not going to say he's the face of baseball, though. Oh, can't do that. That would be Aaron Judge. Uh, so, such a, well, no, he's white. I would be totally racist of me to say <laughs> that Mike Trout is the face of baseball. So he's got to be part, uh, he's got to be mixed race, mixed race, gay. Eskimo, um, <laughs> transgender, 
kind of what we figured that the next host would be for the draft on ESPN, and we're totally wrong when they just went white guy. I was like, come on, yeah. this is ESPN. <laughs> what are you doing? Plain white guy. This is, well, yeah. Trout can be the, 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 the grindy of, of baseball. He can't be the face of oh. baseball, but he can be the, 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 the guy with the I biggest part. He's too good to be grindy. He, 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 no, I think of grindy. Aaron Rowan was grindy. Aaron Rowan was bash your face against the wall and kiss it. Uh, He was fiery and passionate. They'll make Trout grindy and and hustly, even though he is obviously physically gifted and and, an awesome baseball player. One of the, (laughs) I'm basically one of the best of all time. And they'll still talk about how grind, how hard he worked. To, to get where he was. Believe me, the narrative will still be there because... Oh, wait a minute. He's a high-motor guy. There you go. There you go. He yeah. never quits. Loyal, <laughs> loyalty, hustle, and respect. I got to get the John Cena theme song on the on the soundboard here for, for Mike Trout. Actually, J.J. I, I, Watt, how many times have I called J.J. Watt the John Cena of the NFL? And, and here it is. Mike Trout is the John Cena of Major League Baseball grindy, hustly, just work hard. You can't get them out of the gym. They're the first guy in the gym and the last one to leave. I can write the story with my eyes closed, with my left hand, even though I'm right-handed, I can write the story because it's just so easy to write. Yeah, but I'm going to say fake. And I think you, you've you got your numbers to support it, too. Uh, yes, I... Uh... Could, could, could go with the minus 19. Minus 19 isn't terrible, but it's not something you want as a contender, obviously. Um, not just uh, Trout being injured, though. Um, I'll go fake because of a uh, uh, back-to-the-bullpen situation. I don't want to focus on bullpens for every team, but the Angels' bullpen is, oh, they can't get it together, uh, whether it's Bud Norris or Houston Street or uh, Cam Bedrosian. Uh, they they Bud Norris was uh, effective most of the year. Then he got hurt. Uh, Houston Street was on his way back. He finally made it back. And he got hurt again. Uh, Cam Bedrosian is so inconsistent. And it's funny. I'm, I'm watching the best arm in their bullpen, who they refuse to give the, the role to as closer, and that's Blake Parker. And sometimes you, you outthink yourself like that. I think it'd be – so easy for for Mike Sosha to sort of stabilize the bullpen by just making Blake Parker the closer and filling in around him, uh, you know, guys behind whoever the seventh and eighth and uh, sixth inning guys or whatever. But he doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to put pressure on a young guy Parker, I guess. But that that's a mistake uh, that that Mike Sosha is making, and I think that's part of what's uh, leading the Angels down a down a bad road. Obviously, it doesn't help that your best player gets hurt and, and misses some time as well. Uh, in the central, it's a lot more interesting because there's a couple of teams within two games of first place. Now we all think the, the Indians are real. Uh, one of the best teams, uh, obviously the, the American league champions from last year, uh, they're plus 63 on their differential. And I'm not, I'm not even going to ask you real or fake on them, but it's, it is interesting to note that they're only 48 and 45, and they're only a half game ahead of the Twins coming into tonight, and they're only two games ahead of the Kansas City Royals. So there's two teams. 
way under in in run differential, and there's the Indians way over, and yet they're only two games, uh, you know, within two games of each other. So the Twins, who are minus 61 on the season in run differential, yet they're 48 and 46, which I don't quite know how they're doing it, but they're doing it. Um, and also rumored uh, tonight to be very either very close or maybe they've done it since we went on the air to acquiring Jaime Garcia to put in their rotation. Uh, so the Minnesota Twins, right there in striking distance of the Indians, real or fake? Uh, I'm actually going to go with fake. I think this is just what the Twins do. You know, the, the, you talk about grindy. That's that's the that's a grindy organization. <laughs> the Twins and the Rays. <laughs> those are the the Twins and the Rays are the grindy organizations of baseball. But overall, I think that this is the that the cream is going to rise to the top. I think that the Indians. They kind of remind me of the Cubs. They you talk about teams that kind of came out with the funk from that World Series, and maybe that was just so epic that it's 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 so hard to bounce back from. And you know when it is that the that the moon is basically the goal. Like you've got to like how do you top that? You've got to basically go back again. There there is only one purpose. Anything other than getting back for either one of those teams, the Cubs or the Indians, who came so close, anything else would be a colossal failure. And I think that puts a lot of pressure on teams. I think the Cubs, whether it was a hangover or the pressure of being the champions, I think it's almost the same for the Indians. Indians' concern for me is their bullpen. They, they just seem to, like, gag up a whole lot of wins um, late. I don't know what it is, but I, I've just seen this happen way too much this year. For the Twins, cute story, nice little team. I don't think – they kind of remind me of the Brewers, where I just don't think that they have the horses or or the wherewithal or the you know the uh, testicular fortitude to uh, hold up to a pennant chase. <laughs> I wouldn't think so either, but – I actually find myself slightly leaning towards real because the, the the guys that are doing the slugging for them are young and I don't think they're going to stop slugging anytime soon. Miguel Sano is a man and, and he's just bashing everything he sees. Uh, Brian Dozier at the top of the lineup has been doing this for a while now. Uh, I, I don't think they're, they're going to stop. I think uh, Max Kepler has potential um, and all those other guys, Eduardo Escobar and them, they, they, they fill in nicely. They all know their roles. I, I really like adding Jaime Garcia, uh, if that actually does happen, uh, because he's a, a curveball specialist uh, pitching in the uh, American League Central where there's a lot of teams that uh, they'll hit the ball on the ground. If you throw it down low, they'll hit it on the ground low. They're not, they're, there's not too many teams lifting balls in the air like the, like the Astros or uh, – some of these other teams that are bashing everything they see, like the, the Yankees hit everything in the air as well. Um, yeah, I, I actually like the Twins. I, I and I absolutely counted them out before the season began. I know there was a long list of teams that I said they're not here to compete. They're not actually trying to win. They're perpetual rebuilding mode. I, I think the Twins have been rebuilding for quite a number of years now, and I've been wondering when these guys are going to come up and actually make themselves something and and they're 
in the middle of making themselves something. And I think another key is they're I don't I, I guess they're not waiting so much for Byron Buxton's offense to to kick in, but they play him every day because they know how valuable that defense is, and they're just going to say if you, if you ever start hitting, that's great, uh, but. Right now, we're just going to start you every day. We're going to bat you ninth or wherever, uh, and you do whatever you can do at the plate. But we're not benching you because you are so good as a center fielder that we're going to keep you out there and, and have you save games for us with your outfield play. So I, I don't know if I believe in Irvin Santana necessarily staying as good as he's been all year. Uh, but again, acquiring a, a veteran arm like Garcia goes a long way towards helping him helping Santana not feel like he's the only guy there that, that everything is, is on his shoulders. Uh, I, so I can't believe I'm saying this and I didn't think I was going to say it when I brought up the twins, but I think they're going to contend. I think they're going to be right there for a wild card spot uh, all the way at the end. All right. So there's one we disagree on. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm stunned. There's one it. to watch. That's right. Now the Kansas city Royals, 46 and 47, like I said, two games uh, beneath the the Indians coming into tonight. Um, And the Royals uh, did a little work on the Tigers tonight. They beat them by a score of 16 to 4. So there's that. Um, But for the season, not counting tonight, the Royals were minus 40 for run differential. And they've had their, their issues, obviously. So Kansas City Royals, real or fake? I am going to go with fake on the Royals as well. I, I, I still think it's the Indians' division to win. The reason I'm going to go with fake on the Royals is the bulk of their effort to get back to one game under 500 was a a really great stretch of baseball that they played through the month of June. Um I don't know what the record was in the month of June. I wasn't prepared for that part of the conversation, so I didn't look it up. But I know that they they went on a stretch where they were winning a lot of baseball games. But this isn't the this isn't the Royals team that was competing for titles, and I I don't see that they are going to have the the stamina as well to hold up through through a playoff hunt here. But I hate to be writing off so many teams, but I'm going to go with fake. And I'm a, I'm gonna turn around and shock myself again and say that I think they might be in contention for the Walker. When I say real, I don't say that I'm picking these two teams to win playoff spots. I'm saying that I believe that at the end of the season, in that last weekend, with the teams that are still in wild card contention looking for a playoff spot, I think they're gonna be there. I think the Royals are, are gonna be there. They obviously know how to win, being former champions, and, and it feels like that run that they had in June and and what they're doing right now tonight 16 to 4 and all that it feels like those veterans were maybe feeling the heat and maybe thinking that it was about to be their time to get dealt to, to somewhere else and maybe they don't want to get dealt maybe they're comfortable in Kansas City maybe they actually are playing for each other maybe they actually have the type of tight-knit team that actually does want to play for each other and doesn't want to just break up and move on and try to win rings with some other team so it kind of feels like you know those guys are finally putting it all together for each other eric hosmer and lorenzo kane and mike mustakas uh, and alex gordon all those guys are actually trying to to play for each other and salvador 
Perez has been very good all year. Uh, if the pitching can can together, if Danny Duffy can come back from being hurt, and and he's, he's one of those blister guys we talked about, uh, the the new baseballs and the raised seams, how many guys are getting blisters? That was actually something that I had queued up to to mention during that discussion was that somebody did a study. Uh, ben Lindbergh of the Ringer actually did a chart of days missed by major league pitchers because of blisters, starting back in 2007. Uh, it was around 80 something back then. And then every year up to, uh, to 2015, the most that you had was somewhere in the eighties. I don't know the exact number because we put it in a, in a bar chart. And, and so you can see that it's a little over 80, but I don't know exactly how many, but in 2016, it's somewhere near 200. And in 2017, this year, it's somewhere near 200. And that's so far this year. That's not a projection. That's so far this year, it's already near 200. Uh, so it obviously it's going to go way over that by the time the season is over. So that lends credence to the the, the baseballs being different, despite uh, what Rob Manfred may say. That, uh, it's within variance. It's okay. I don't, I don't know. Uh, there's obviously something to that, but so, uh, so Danny Duffy is one of those blister guys. So if he comes back and, and sort of anchors that rotation, uh, and everything else falls into place for the world. I, I absolutely can see them still being there, uh, during the last weekend of the season. Okay. Well, we we just get to keep disagreeing here. Well, for a couple, um, these teams in the American league, boy, there's a, the, a lot of those in contention. There's only uh, nine games difference between the entire division. Uh, I will count out the Blue Jays being seven games under 500 and, and being off kilter seemingly all season long. So if they make a run and surprise me, then congratulations. But I'm, I'm going to count them out. Uh, but the Orioles are only three games under at 46 and 49, but they have a run differential of minus 71 on the year, which is quite disturbing. So Baltimore Orioles, real or fake? Oh, I hate that division. I hate that division so much because <laughs> it's the East. Oh, I didn't talk about the East. The Orioles are interesting because, wow, they come out of the break, they get swept by the Cubs, and then they just demolished the Texas Rangers. Um, you know, and they did, they did it again um, today. Cole Hamels, 20-something innings. I was watching that game. He hadn't given up a run in 20-something innings, one of the best stretches of his career. It didn't matter. Guys just coming out. Just They were up 5-1, to one, and then all of a sudden, next you know, it's just home run barrage coming out of the Orioles. And they, they have that ability to hit in bunches. They have really good hitters who did not do a lot in the first half, like Trumbo and Chris Davis. I mean, they, they got amazing performance um, from, from Scope. And, you know, you've got Wellington Castillo's there. That offense is seriously legitimate. The pitching, eh, the pitching is suspect. But it's a, hey, it, it's an offensive game now, right? You don't have to have as much pitching if you can have hitting like they have. And if it starts to hit and you can get a lot of hitting in bunches, all you really need is to go on one extended good stretch here in the second half to keep yourself in the picture. So I'm going to say real for the Baltimore Orioles. And we will continue our disagreeing. I can't say fake hard enough for the Orioles based on nothing more than the pitching there. Every single fucking starting pitcher they send to the mound gets killed. 
on a regular basis. They can't get solid, solid starting pitching to save their lives. For every one good start, Dylan Bundy or Kevin Gossman or Chris Tillman manages to string together. The next three starts, they get absolutely destroyed. And Ubaldo Jimenez gets destroyed every single start. It's it, to me, it's a it's telling about how bad that rotation is that Ubaldo Jimenez still gets opportunities. That there's no major league team, I don't think that should be starting Ubaldo Jimenez right now. He is so hittable. It has been for a couple of years now. I completely agree that the well, offense is is frightening. Yeah. But I'm calling him fake based on they can't get a, a starting pitcher to go out there and give them five good innings. It, it, it seems like it's if that ever happens, it's like a news story. Oh my God, the Orioles got a good start tonight. It's it's crazy. Yeah, I think it was Wade Miley went out there tonight and did not have a good night. It's always somebody. Got bailed always out somebody. by the offense. Yeah. No, yeah. if there's a team that needs to go out there and try to score some starting pitching, you'd think it would be Baltimore. And I'm not hearing them in any trade rumors. Yeah, I think they are still deciding do they want to be buyers or sellers. They might be getting ready to sell off some of that talent. So I would agree with that myself. I don't think they're contenders. Now, the Yankees have been playing like contenders all year until recently. They just decided to collapse uh, and now they're down. They, they had the lead in the division for a long time. Now they're four games uh, in back of the Red Sox, 48 and 45, but a, a differential on the year of plus 96, which shows how dominant they have been the first half of the season. So New York Yankees, real or fake? I'm going to go with fake with the Yankees, even though we took the Yankees oh. to make the postseason. Uh, we both took them to sneak into that wild card spot. I am going to go with fake with the Yankees because I think – the slide is incoming. Uh, you know, I think for the younger players, I think I don't know if they're going to be able to hold up to what they did performance-wise in the first half. Talking about not trusting your pitching, I don't trust Tanaka or, or you know, and you never know what you're going to get out of, like, uh, you know, Severino or any of those. So I don't trust the pitching, and I think we're going to start to see some of the some of the rookie walls. I think we're going to see, you know, from some of these players, I don't know if Aaron judge is going to hit 30 bombs in the second half. He, he could see some regression. Sanchez could see some regression. So I think we're going to see some, some backsliding here from, from the Yankees. So I'm going to, I'm going to go with fake. And I'm going to disagree again. I really like the Yankees lineup and I think the uh, the pitching as suspect as it has been uh, I think once uh, Joe Girardi sort of realizes who he can count on for a solid five or six innings and who he has to sort of be ready to go to the bullpen earlier than that I think once he sorts that out then it'll be good I think he's learning that actually Luis Severino to me is is the real deal I think he emerged this year I think he had been a question mark last year, but he's putting it together this year. He put his get, put together another great start tonight. I think he's still he might even still be pitching. They're out in Seattle, um, and, and the other guys, the veterans, as you mentioned, the uh, Masahiro Tanaka, uh, Chocolate Cakes. He's he's a bad thing. I think once he figures out which of those guys he can actually possibly get six innings out of and, and go to that bullpen, make it a, a you know a. a a bullpen night from from that point because now with David Robertson now you can go uh, 
Dylan Batanz has been sort of a nightmare all year. I know he made the all-star team, but his co- his control is ridiculously bad. He can be, he can walk the park in at, at some, at, at times. So now you can go to Robertson. You don't have to go to Batanzas every night when you need a right-hander. You can go to David Robertson. You can even go to the other guy from the White Sox that they acquired in that trade because he had been having a good season out of the bullpen as well. Um, and you don't have to go right to a role as Chapman. You can let the, the other guys back up and ease Chapman in there for one inning because as we know, as you, of course, know as a Cubs fan from last year, Chapman is very uncomfortable pitching more than one inning. So uh, that's a big key is, is bolstering the bullpen to go – back up a role as Chapman so that he doesn't ever have to pitch more than one inning um, and, and figuring out the rotations so that you know who you can rely on and who you can't. I think Severino you can rely on. The other guys you kind of still have to figure out. But I actually think the Yankees are in good position. I think, I, of course, I don't think Aaron Judge is going to match the, the power effort that he put forth in the first half, not necessarily, not necessarily because of any tiring that he would be doing, but just because – Pitchers aren't going to pitch him like that. They're going to go, okay, this guy was killing everybody in the first half. You're getting nothing good from me, son. You're getting, you know, I'm, I'm going to walk you or you're going to take one of my mistakes and hit it out, but I'm not going to give you anything decent on purpose. You're, you're, you're going to get a lot of junk and you have to figure out which of that junk you can hit out and which, which ones you can't. But they still have a good lineup even after him with the veteran holiday and the veteran Stalin Castro and Didi Gregorius is actually having a really good year. And, and Sanchez is starting to come on uh, later on. Uh, I actually think the Yankees are, are going to be there contending, maybe even get back up there and, and take the division. Cause I don't know if I trust the, the Red Sox to keep that lead. I, I think the Yankees are definitely going to be there. It's sort of backwards from what I expected from the Yankees. I expected the Yankees to build towards their playoff push, where I think they may have peaked too soon. You know, and and, and leading the division for a, a pretty decent stretch, which was very surprising, and then you just slowly started to see the Red Sox coming along and overtaking them, and. I, I think the writing was just on the wall for the Yankees. I think it was an, I think it's been nice, you know, it's, I, I hate to say it, but hey, it's not bad for baseball when the Yankees are good. Um, you know, at least, at least for the ratings on the sports networks that all focus on the Yankees. Cause all you got to do is have one Yankee rookie, have a half of a season. He's the face of baseball. That's right. But overall, from what I've seen from watching the games, I think you're starting to see some chinks. Now, they did make the moves. Uh, they did make the move getting Robertson, and they got Frazier, and they're, they're trying to fill in those gaps, you know. But trading for David Robertson to be a, a, a seventh inning guy, eighth, eighth inning guy, if they're trying to play that game, maybe that works for them, and they can just like Kansas City Royals the shit out of this, where you just line them up seven, eight, and nine, and everyone's got their role and, and just basically try to have the lead after six and just crush the ball at the beginning of the game and go to your dominating bullpen. Okay, maybe that works in the playoffs. The trick is you got to get to the playoffs, and that's where I think they may fall just a little bit short. I think they're lining themselves up well if they made it. I'm just not sure I see the arrow pointing up for them right now. I think right now the arrow is pointing down for the Yankees. 
You're saying they haven't made the playoffs yet, but if they did it, they would have a nice plan. They're putting together a nice plan for a playoff run that may not come. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, they're, they're writing their, their if they did it book on, on this OJ theme night. Uh, the Orioles, I had, did not realize, by the way, that there's only one team in all of baseball that have given up more runs than the, than the Baltimore Orioles. And it's the god-awful Cincinnati Reds. So that just showing how bad the Orioles have been this year as far as pitching goes. It just uh, blows me away that the Orioles are not trying to acquire any pitching. They, they, is the cupboard they, that bare? Is there just nothing there for them to move? I, I really think they're being realistic about it and thinking that they're sellers, not buyers, and getting ready to move some of this talent. So you see them making some some trading some trading out of some stuff here in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, obviously Machado is their build, their building block and their franchise player. But I, yeah, if somebody comes and offers them some prospects for for Chris Davis or some of those other veterans there, Trumbo. Yeah, I can see them making that move. Yeah, it'd be a it'd be an awful admission of you know of a failure of contention because they had the pieces to, to go after the division this year and and haven't got it done at all. None of those young arms. We talked about the young arms and, and what young arms are there that are coming up and doing some damage. They had a couple of young arms that were very highly touted to come up and do some damage in Gossman and, and, and Bundy, and they're doing yeah. nothing. So that's a big part of why they're in this situation that they are right now. So what you're saying is nobody's calling the Orioles for their pitching. Uh, no. <laughs> well, Zach Britt, that's, they're calling about that's that it. pitching. Cause that's, uh, you definitely want Zach Britton if you can get him. That, that would actually be a big haul if they, if they dealt Zach Britton. I think that would be, uh, probably as close to as big a haul as the, as the White Sox got for Quintana, because that's how important Britton can be for, for some contender. Can you imagine a team that doesn't have, uh, anything from the left side and all of a sudden they, put Zach Britton in the middle of their bullpen from the left side and just shut everything down at that point, that'd be very valuable for some contender team. And he can close. That's true. He's got that uh, experience. And no doubt about it. Three games in the win column ahead of the Yankees are the Tampa Bay Rays. The 51 and Amazing. 45 Tampa Bay Rays. But only 16 game, uh, 16 runs of a of a run differential this year. If you put stock in that particular stat, but the record is the record. Six games over 500. Tampa Bay Rays, real or fake? If you look up the scrappy, grindy, you know, n- none of those guys jump off the page. You know, no, no nobody's sitting there thinking about any of those players. As, as like prime, you know, big leaguers. I mean, you want to talk about like very much like the twins where you like, we know the twins. Yeah, we, we, we follow baseball and I happen to be in an American league only fantasy league. And so I know who these guys are on the Rays, but this is not a team that nationally plays, you know, as far as ratings or attraction of the team, they never really have. I mean, they did make that one world series, 
and, and they had those those years where they were highly competitive and again were scrappy teams. But yeah, they they pitch they pitch pretty well. They've got the guy at the back end, so the bullpen's not that bad. They've got some decent starting pitchers. Um, you know, we got Chris Archer, Odorizzi. There, there's good pitchers out there. That this Faria just came up out of nowhere. He, he's been a little rougher lately, but he had a nice run. And they have a lot of fifteen to twenty homer offensive players. A lot of the same guy up and down that lineup. You know, it just guys. You know, and every single one of those guys could potentially do some damage to you. Um, so I, I I like the Rays. I think the Rays are more interesting going into maybe next year than I really find them to be this year. So I'm actually going to say that the Rays are fake as well. Yeah, that I will concur with you. You can put Logan Morrison and Steven Souza Jr. and uh, Corey Dickerson and Brad Miller and Logan Forsythe. You can put them all in a row and line them up, and I couldn't tell you who's who. I could not pick out any of those guys from a lineup. They, they're all the same guy to me. Uh, and that probably makes me a little racist, and, and that's true. But you also have to admit, that is one white-ass team right there. My God. And, they're all, and, and they all play the same style, too. That, that grindy, get-your-uniform-dirty, uh, you know, make sure you slide and go extra hard into the wall and all that stuff. Uh, and but, but Eva Longoria over there at third is sort of the veteran anchor. Uh, that's not a contending uh, – that's not a playoff team to me. I understand that they're contending. I understand they're six games over 500. But when I look at that team, I don't see a playoff team. I see a team with a lot of parts uh, that happen to be playing well three, four months through a season. But I don't think they're going to be there at game 162. I really think they're going to fall off. They got the one ace in Chris Archer. Um, like you said, they got the closer that's been good this year in Alex Colomay. But uh, – no, I don't see them still being. I mean, unless Jose De Leon comes up and, and takes over and is like a number two starter uh, potential. But again, everyone's afraid to bring up their young kids and see what they got. So I don't know. I don't know if that's going to be happening this season. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I'm with you. What, I don't see them there at the end. What I see the Rays being is that team that nobody's going to want to play in September because they're grindy and they're annoying and they, they do kind of find those ways to beat you. I can see them being out of the playoff on maybe, maybe a few games back, you know, they're, they're not going to make the playoffs, but they're fighting for a spot, but I think they're going to like make life miserable for some of those teams that they're playing during that stretch. And so they'll have an impact on the playoffs, although they won't make it. And that's, I don't want that to sound like I'm insulting that team because I think that's actually a compliment to what they're doing, um, that they can they can play that spoiler role. Not like we talk about usually where it's the bad team playing spoiler, you know, that, that jumps up and sweeps somebody <laughs> in September. And there was like, wow, how did that happen? You know, that you got swept by those guys. They're bums. No, I see them kind of being that like that annoying the, the the fleas right was it the was that the twins was that what Ozzy Guillen always called the twins <laughs> that's right where they just annoy the hell out of you I the Rays and the twins I made that analogy before they remind me a lot of each other where they're they just 
they'll 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 drive you nuts because they do have that ability to just grind it out, score some runs, and the next thing you know, you got swept by them. And they're going to do that to a couple of teams in September, I think, and have an impact on that race. So the national <clears throat> national league is a lot easier to to sort through. Uh, in the East, the Nationals are running away. Uh, the Braves fit my little narrative of three games under 500 or better because they're actually 45 and 48, but I'm not going to play real or fake with them because they're busy selling off parts. They're obviously yeah. fake because they're selling they're not buying. So there you go. Um, the The West is is interesting to me because you got two teams that are this is how dominant the Dodgers are right now. The Dodgers are plus 181 in differential this year. They're disgusting. They're 66 and 29. I, I can't believe yeah. how good the Dodgers are. The Diamondbacks and the Rockies are both well over 500. Fifth, the, the Diamondbacks are 15 games over the, the Rock, and the, actually they're both 15 games over, but the Rockies have played two more games, so they're uh, 56 and 41. The Diamondbacks are 55 and 40. They're both 11 games out of first place. 15 games over 500 and 11 games out of first place. That's incredible. Uh, so they clearly are in the driver's seat when you talk about teams that, that are trying to contend for that uh, for those two wild card spots. So we'll start with the Rockies, 56 and 41, but a run differential of only 52 on the year because even though they score 515, they give up 463. So Colorado Rockies, real or fake? I'm going to say real for the Rockies. They went through a funk where they couldn't pitch and they couldn't hit completely. I mean, I, that team went from scoring all those. They scored all those runs, and let's not forget that they went through about a good three, four-week period when they were, you know, backsliding to 15 games over 500, um, where they could not hit the ball for a damn. They seem to have kind of bounced back from that. You kind of figure that that Rockies team, is going to hit <laughs> and and they're starting to hit again. So I, I think that with that, they can keep up at least the, at least to stay at this sort of 15 game over, even if they play 500, the rest of the way you finish 15 games over 500, you're probably in that wild card game or pretty damn close to it. I don't think anybody's coming out of either one of the other divisions necessarily at all. So I think they're on, just don't screw this up and you'll make the playoffs. Just just be average and you'll be there, or at least you'll be in the wild card game. Because no one's catching, you know, the, no, they're not going to catch the Dodgers. No. You know, it's like the Dodgers aren't going to get caught. The Nationals aren't going to get caught. We no. would assume that the Cubs are going to overtake, I would think, the Brewers and, 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 and win that division although we don't know yet because that division's gotten really tight with four that's four teams in a real tight thing in the central there but we, i think you and i agree that the cubs are the best of those four teams so no i'm going to say the rockies are real and will make it you know probably make it to that one day 163rd game make it to that wild card game even if they win that game though they don't have the pitching to go up against one of these better teams and the hitting we know will get shut down because of the good pitching in the playoffs. So the Rockies have that trajectory right to a divisional round exit. Probably is that's their ceiling is a division round exit. <laughs> I can't help, but call them fake because I can't help but think of all the Rockies teams and the, and the way that they go, they made the one world series, but 
other than that, this is usually their trajectory is slug a lot, put up a lot of runs in that ballpark, and then the pitching comes on and gives it almost all of them back. And that's what exactly what they're doing. And Greg Holland has been a revelation as closer. I didn't know he had this much left in him, but I don't know if I want to count on him to keep doing this the entire year. Uh, the starting pitching, as always, is just not good enough, just not however good they may be on the road when they get back home they just keep giving up runs and runs and runs and the bullpen gets taxed and eventually it just all falls apart it all breaks down if the rockies would want to acquire a really good starting pitcher that might change things but i don't see them doing that that what pitcher wants to approve a trade to to go to the rockies uh you know it's just I don't know if Sonny Gray has trade veto powers, but I'm not going to the Rockies if I'm Sonny Gray. I'm just, I'm, I'm not doing that. So I don't think the Rockies are going to get the pitching that they need. And I think they're going to fall off like they always do. Okay. So, so you don't think they're going to make the playoffs? I do not. I think they're going to fall all the way down because it's just the, the pitching is going to be so taxed by the time August and September, we haven't even gotten to August yet. Uh, and, and just getting, such spotty efforts from their starting pitching, I think in the end it's going to just take a toll on the whole team. Now the Diamondbacks at the same point, 15 games over 555 and 40, and, and they're slugging and uh, slugging the hell out of everybody. They're actually plus 110 on the season in run differential, which is very impressive. So Arizona Diamondbacks making the playoffs real or fake. I think that I seriously think it's all three teams from the West are going. I don't see any, but you got to have somebody really jumping up and making a run here. If you've got the Rockies and, or the Diamondbacks or both um, as fake teams, I think the Diamondbacks have, obviously they're not at the Dodgers level. I mean, the Dodgers have won 32 out of the last 36 or some ridiculous number like that. And 11 in a row. I mean, the, what the Dodgers are doing is absolutely unbelievable. The Diamondbacks are, I think the Diamondbacks and the Rockies are a lot better than people thought, especially we thought that they were going to be going into the season. I mean, they've always had nice players. They've like Goldschmidt. Everybody's been there for, feels like forever now. And I, I think that it would really take some monumental falling flat on their faces for those two teams, the Rockies and the Diamondbacks to somehow miss the playoffs with the cushion that they have and the mediocrity of all of these other teams, the national league is very top heavy right now. And if the Cubs keep rolling, it's just going to get even more top heavy. So I, I, I I don't know who is going to come out of that malaise that's left. Um, I'm more, I'm more interested to hear what you think because I clearly have both of these teams staying sort of on the path that they're on. So I'm going to say real for the diamondbacks. Yeah, in the last uh, couple of minutes that we have, uh, in the interest of keeping uh, with brevity, I will say that my two wild card teams that I personally project, I'm going to go with the Diamondbacks as well because I made fun of that lineup and I was like, they can't keep slugging like that. And they're slugging like that. They're not going to stop. Apparently, Jake Lamb is all that. And
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.